32 counties and 32 questions. My name is Una. And my name is Louise. And this is United United Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county is... Leitrim. And this week's question... Why is Ireland planting the wrong trees? I'm sensing something different is happening in the studio. There's no Andrea this week. She's still (laughs) off gallivanting. And instead, we have the brilliant Louise McSharry filling in as a very special guest host and our youngest ever guest, Ted. Yeah, two for the price of one. (laughs) How are you doing, Louise? Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, six weeks post-birthing Ted or post my body being cut open and Ted being ripped out of it. Nice. Yeah. Um, And uh, no, life is good. Cool. Yeah. So just Ted going on at the mo, keeping your hands full very much so. Ted and my two and a half year old Sam and my husband and my house. Most women nest before they give birth. I, that kicked in last week. Same. So (laughs) while I'm at home with this tiny, tiny baby, I've also decided to build flat pack furniture and completely reorganize my house. Right. Okay. Sensible. I I have no concept of what it is like to have or raise babies and then those babies turn into children. What is the main emotional state that you experience on the reg? Um, Desperation, I think. (laughs) Um, Ted is pretty easy at the moment. Sorry, he's been kind of noisy at the moment because he's eating. Um, Ted is pretty easy. Uh, Sam, my two and a half year old, is tough and has been tough. Like He's just a full on kid and you're kind of desperate in lots of different ways because you're always worried that you're not doing the right things. You're always worried that um, you're ruining them. Um, You're worried that, you know, they're being bold at crash. You're worried that they're kind of you know not making enough friends and um, you're desperate for things to just be normal um, I think is, is the primary feeling but to be honest like these days Sam is gas he's really talking now and you know we have funny chats yesterday he uh, we were walking home from crash and I said oh do you know I said while you were at crash I gave Ted a bath and he's like good work mom I was like thanks <laughs> like that's the kind of support I actually really need right now yeah. and then later on he had a total meltdown outside a petrol station because I wouldn't go in and buy him sweets and so he stood in some kind of a small landscaped area in front of the you know like by the where the sign for the petrol station is holding a match yeah st- <laughs> well just stood on the stones crying basically and we kept going and then on the way home we passed by the petrol station again he said oh mom remember Sam was standing there crying on the stones I was like yes that was 20 minutes ago like are you being nostalgic about your own meltdown so he is funny um, and there are lots of good moments but yeah you're just you're just afraid and desperate I think a lot of the time I wouldn't be cut out for it I have to say well I think apparently it gets easier and then it maybe gets harder again I don't know right we'll, well see you're an absolute champ Thank and we're you. delighted to have Ted here chilling out alright Ted well, if he could be a little bit quieter it'll be fine it'll yeah. be fine once he finishes eating hopefully he'll chill so this week's county is Lee what county are you from? I'm from County Dublin and I often get asked this because I have a mixed up accent so for anyone who doesn't know I spent 10 years in America as a kid so that's why I've got this touch of American twang. You didn't just go to Loretto Dorky or something? No we're hanging out in Dundrum Town Centre no. Um, <laughs> no I am actually from Dublin uh, born in uh, Hollis Street and then lived in Palmerstown until we moved to America. Right. Westside? What, what, what county <laughs> besides Dublin do you spend most of your time in in Ireland? Um, Wexford because my parents have a, a little house in Wexford by the beach which we go to which is great uh, my dad's dream his whole life was to have a house in Wexford near the beach and so he inherited some money and that's that's what he spent it on um, but I also lived in Galway for a few years and I have a real affinity with Galway I would happily if I could move my work there I'd happily move there and raise my kids there yeah Galway's my jam as well oh, it's the best. my family from Galway um, Wexford I don't spend too much t- 
Simon, although people are obsessed with this hotel in Wexford. What is it called? Kelly's? Kelly's. Apparently they feed you from like morning till night. Yeah, like families are obsessed. Yeah. Like my uh, mates who have kids just think it's the best thing ever. So maybe we should... Uh, save that bit for the for the Wexford episode mm. um, in the meantime I want to shout out and thank all of our amazing patrons on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland you can join the joy that is supporting this podcast for as little as three dollars slash three euro a month get on it sure, that's nothing nothing at all <laughs> Louise, hit me with some Leitrim facts. Well, Una, Leitrim is the smallest county by population in Ireland with around 32,000 people, meaning that the entire population of the county could fit in the stands of McHale Park Stadium in Castlebar. Pre-famine, the population was 155,000. Isn't that bonkers? Yeah, uh, that is crazy. It has the shortest coastline of any county in Ireland, just two and a half miles. Which I remember well from that wooden map of Ireland counties you had to do in school, you know, with the little pegs in it. I never had, I never, I never got there. I was seven when we moved to America, so I've got a massive gap in my geographical knowledge. Right. It's embarrassing, to be honest. So I actually didn't even, I don't, should I confess this? Do it. I didn't even realize that Leitrim had coast. Well, it's small, so that's fair. I thought it was one Apologies, of further inside. I'm sorry, Leitrim, I really am. I've been there. I just, I'm stupid. Um, something relevant, actually, to our discussion today is that when Ireland was covered in woodland, five great forests stood in Leitrim. The last coal mine in Leitrim closed in 1990. And well-known Leitrim folk include the writer John McGahern, James Gralton, the communist who led the Revolutionary Workers Group and also provided the inspiration for the film Jimmy's Hall. There you go. James Cagney had Leitrim roots. Go on. A destination for a lot of people in Leitrim is Carrick on Shannon and a lot of people outside of Leitrim as well. And it's a county with beautiful views. The Shannon, the mountains, Loch Allen, Glencar Waterfall. And up until recently, there were no traffic lights in the county. Now there is one set. Boo. Oh, well, let me tell you, my friend Michelle is from uh, Leitrim and they, it was, there was great excitement over the traffic lights. Yay. She is very proud of them. <laughs> it's my, like, how, I actually... I'm in favour of no traffic lights. Unless you're Galway and you just have like, you know, the endless roundabouts and then the traffic lights on the roundabouts. Yeah. I feel like in towns in a, in the States, they do it pretty well. You know, I'm sure there's more like road accidents. Four-way stops. Four-way stops. Yeah. Where no one really knows how to stop or yeah. where to go. And it's like, <laughs> and you can turn right on this red light or whatever. Yeah, I know. We'll navigate based on eye contact. Yeah. That's, that's foolproof. <laughs> So those are the Leitrim facts. Thank you very much, uh, Leitrim expert, Louise McSharry. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, our county rep this week is a proud Leitrim woman. She's a comedian, an actor, an all-around lalafon. Some of you may know her from her sketch shows on RTE or from her turn as Banish Thor on Celebrity Banish Thor, which, by the way, should never have been canned. I love that. They should bring it back. Um, Fiona Looney actually was the creative force behind Celebrity Banish Thor. A little fact for you there. Um, but this uh, county rep's roots are in the Irish gay scene as a former winner of Alternative Miss Ireland and a good pal of hers uh, Panties if you haven't seen the epic YouTube moment of this woman and Rory O'Neill aka Panty pretending to be brother and sister so that they could get on the Maury Povich show and thus get a free trip to New York you haven't lived check it out and what about your mother how did she react 
she was fine. My mother was fantastic because actually I put on the dress and ran outside and there was a local funeral that oh day my and my God. mother was walking behind the hearse with the funeral cortege. It wasn't like a family member or nothing, so yeah. an old guy from the local village. And I ran up to the funeral cortege in her dress. In her Mommy, wedding dress? how pretty I am. Yeah. Why? How old were you? Seven-ish. Seven Why did you do it? Do you remember it? Yeah, I vaguely remember it. I remember my mom taking me back to the house by the hand and bringing me into her room and sort of saying, it was a funeral, you should have worn black. <laughs> Rapping Leitrim this week, it's County Rap, Catherine Lynch. Hi, Una, this is Catherine Lynch, and um, it's the little bit about Leitrim. So I am going to say... Leitrim, it's neither underwhelming or overwhelming. It's just lovely. Its elegance is in its lakes, hills, towns and its villages and its people, obviously. We were deeply affected down the years by emigration and recession and our population has suffered a lot. Our clubs and our schools there have struggled to make numbers. We lose characters every day, our lovely wise elders, all full of valuable history. They die famous, thankfully. Everyone dies famous in a small town, of course. <laughs> Leitrim is my home, my tribe, my roots. And I love it. This week's question is, why is Ireland planting the wrong trees? Which is a funny one, but it is one very relevant to Leitrim. I was reading a piece by Dara Murphy in the Irish Times last month, which repeats some of the facts that people have been talking about in this area of forestry and trees in Ireland. So here's a little bit of a forestry explainer. Only 10.5% of Ireland is covered by trees, and that is the joint lowest in the EU. That's... that's... That makes me very sad. I know, right? Now, the average forest cover in the EU is 40%. Yeah. So we're uh, a quarter of that, basically. So the government says they're going to raise this to 18% by 2046, which is the equivalent of planting forests the size of Dublin City every year until then. Now, obviously, we know that the government loves setting ambitious, seemingly <laughs> unreachable targets and then failing to live up to them. Planting that number of trees a year would be a massive turnaround but the signs are that that probably won't happen because believe it or not, last year saw the least planting of trees in Ireland in 30 years. They didn't even make a third of the target. Why is that? Okay, we're going to get into that now. And it's, okay. it's basically a lot of it is to do with um, surprise, surprise money. Thank you, Fine Gael. But And a lot of it is to do with the ideology of forestry in Ireland. So the thing about um, all the trees that they're actually planting is that they're generally not native species. So Quilta has responsibility for all forestry in Ireland, right? We're going to get into Quilta in a bit, but you'll know this, right? Because driving around Ireland for as long as I can remember is, or as anyone can remember probably, is kind of weirdly discombobulating when you look at the landscape because the country is not covered in native forest. You know, the kind of things we learned about in school, like oak, ash, hazel, birch, hawthorn, all that jazz, all those trees that you put on your little nature table at the back of the class, in fact, broadleaf trees make up just 2% of our trees, of our tree cover in Ireland. And that's compared to 87% of tree cover in Europe. So instead, the tree covered hills that you look at in Ireland when you're driving around Wicklow, for example, or the Midlands, they look completely at odds with what you'd expect from Irish forests. And that's because they are. The main tree that we plant here is the Sitka spruce, and that's from southeast Alaska. And it's a tree that if anybody's ever visited Western Canada or the Pacific Northwest or kind of Northern California will be familiar with. 
that tree was um, kind of introduced to Ireland by a guy called David Douglas. He was a Scottish botanist. He gave his name to the Douglas fir. And he introduced the Sitka spruce uh, to Ireland in the 1820s. So this is not a modern phenomenon. This has been going on for a while. And it's a tree that has been planted, you know, kind of large scale in Ireland since 1907. And the maxim at that time was that forestry was really just about profit, that Ireland had essentially loads of useless land. Obviously, we have, you know, loads of parts of the country where the soil quality is quite poor. And the thing about these kind of um, the Sitka spruces is that they don't, particularly need rich soil to grow in and they don't make rich soil either actually which we'll get into in a sec and so the kind of buzz was plant all this Sitka cut it down sell the wood replant Um, and that has been ongoing since then for over 100 years and in Norway which is you know much more kind of conducive to like evergreens and spruces and all that kind of stuff Sitka is actually viewed as an invasive species I suppose what are these forests like well when I was a kid Um, our main weekend activity was going to the forest in Wicklow because it was free and like my dad would just drive all of us in um, the Ford Escort down to Wicklow and you just walk around dark forest for ages and I remember even then thinking that the like navigating this particular landscape wasn't very pleasant like it's dark there's very little Um, stuff growing on the ground because the way the foliage is it blocks out sunlight you don't see much wildlife in these forests Um, you know you can't really run through the trees they're like prickly they have this like bark that is kind of scrapey and stuff like that and because of how they're cut basically how they're harvested is like clear felling which means and you see this all the time like they basically just cut them all down at once and then you kind of left with these barren hillsides with that like scrubby uh, like burnt kind of rusty type colour they also need fertilisers and pesticides to grow so why are we doing this and uh, why are we continuing to do this when we know so much more yeah. about preserving habitat um, and there's there's reasons that are kind of policy and ideological but a lot about business as well right so the forestry sector employs 12,000 people in Ireland um, Quilch just say it's worth around 2.3 billion annually to the Irish economy and that's kind of across infrastructure, industrial development, tourism, wind farms, all that kind of crack. Um, and so in this context, Quilta, like a lot of other state agencies and semi-state agencies, they talk a lot about job creation in relation to forestry. Um, and they also make uh, this stuff called Smart Ply, which is basically like MDF. And um, Ireland is actually Europe's leading producer of wood panel products from this forestry. Wow. And that's exported to 32 countries. That's an interesting fact. Yeah. So basically, it is a commercial enterprise. enterprise. And quilters say this themselves. Like if you... Um, they have the really have this like promotional video um, where they basically say, our objective is to maximise the value of every hectare we own while continuing to deliver social and environmental benefits for everyone to enjoy. So it's very clear that how they frame what they're doing, it's like maximising the value of the land. And then it's like, oh, and, you know, maybe also deliver social and environmental benefits, social benefits, okay, maybe recreation, you know, mountain biking, hiking, shit like that. And then environmental benefits are at the kind of tail end of what they're saying. So it's like money and then uh, nature. <laughs> yeah, basically. And they divide, Quilter divides their forests up into um, six BAUs, 
which is business area units. You know, you can just smell the foliage of that. Um, And in their last public consultation summary, uh, many of the concerns related to Quilter were around wind energy, like obviously wind farms and all that kind of stuff and are like of big concerns to farmers and local communities where they're being put up. And we don't really hear about it that much in Dublin um, because it's not really a factor in our landscape. But, you know, in rural areas, like these massive wind farms going up are, are of huge concern to people, even though like people in the urban areas might be like, renewable energy. Everyone's like, yeah, do you want a fucking yeah. massive turbine thing beside your gaff? Anyway, so most not of in my backyard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So most of the public consultation concerns the quilt got were around that. But another piece, um, Ted's just dreaming of, of forest there in the corner. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're done. Totally being sorry. so grunty. <laughs> Ted, chill. He's just really upset about this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this I can see it. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so another piece that I got from that quilt to public con- consultation, and that was a report from kind of 2016 to 2020 was this line in it where Quilta said, um, stakeholders expressed a wish that monoculture coniferous forestry, so that's like basically just built, like planting all the seed stuff, should not continue to be developed so intensively regardless of its deleterious impacts on biodiversity and habitat destruction, water quality and amenity. And Quilta responded to that saying... I'm going to read this out because it kind of shows very much where they're coming from. The Irish forestry sector is based and depends on the clear fell and replant system of timber production for its survival and success. However, we implement alternative silvicultural systems. What that means is basically kind of a broad term for the management of forests, like how they grow and cut down trees in like a systematic kind of way on certain sites where site conditions are suitable and or where there are overriding environmental or social reasons to do so. While Quilch's forests do consist primarily of conifer forests. Within these forests, there's usually a diversity of habitats present. Many plantation forests have roads and ride lines, which usually support species-rich vegetation and scrub. Mmm, scrub. Everyone's fave. They provide important habitat diversity within the forest and are havens for wildlife. For example, butterfly species marsh fritillary I guess that's a bit butterfly type, not really hot on butterflies. A lot of words I've never heard before. (laughs) (laughs) So this butterfly species occurs, according to Quilta, occurs along ride lines in some Quilta conifer forests. Furthermore, certain species of conservation concern in Ireland have in fact benefited from the spread of conifer plantations over recent decades, e.g. red squirrel and the pine martin. Um, Pine martins are those little weird, freaky looking little cat, kind of forest cat things with like long pointy faces I'm not I, I'm so ignorant I've, I've never heard of these forest cats <laughs> well, well I, are they ca- like I, I don't know what I'm not sure if they're like a feline thing but they're like little woodland creatures kind of about the size of a cat they're kind of rusty colour and they have like little long little foxy faces they're kind of cute Really? Anyway, they used to mostly be situated... They're not really selling them to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they kill grey squirrels, so that's a good thing. Um, oh, they are cute. Yeah, Sorry, Andrew's I've just seen just, a Google image. Yeah, search. they Thanks, are. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. They are cute. Um, they were... Pine Martins, like, we didn't have many of them. They were mostly situated in the burren. And that kind of would have natural-type scrub, you know, as, you know, the burn, obviously. Limestone, plains you know, different, like very low-lying um, flora and scrub and stuff like that. Um, so the pine martin likes some of the conifer forests, according to Quilta. But I mean, Ireland is pretty crap at trees generally, right? Dublin isn't a green or tree-laden city. 
the bus connects corridor plans. It looks like even more trees would be felled across the city, some of them 120 years old. Yeah, there's a lot of that around where I live. Lots of yellow ribbons around trees and signs up and all the rest. Where are you living? Glasnevin. Right, because I know it's kind of the... There's a lot of the ribbon things happening as well in like Donnybrook and stuff yeah. like that and in Stony Batter as well. Um, and so... Yeah, so like urban areas, not very good at being green, but then our forestry uh, plans seem to be like kind of out of step. And there's something, I don't know, not to get all like uh, tree jingoism, but like (laughs) we should be planting native forests. Like that is what um, supports our wildlife here. It's what is like a proper aspect of our biodiversity and having what other countries call an invasive species being planted here for 100 years that doesn't do any of that stuff and actually requires all these pesticides and fertilisers to be used and that doesn't foster the kind of wildlife that is native to Ireland like fucking badgers and foxes and all those um, Mm. heads you know is something that we should be looking at And, and it is something that activists um you know and and people living in areas where there are massive um you know spruce plantations basically have been fighting back which is why we're talking about leitrim but looking at leitrim then in a global context if they're fighting this battle about trees you know there's all this stuff at the moment about the amazon being in a state of emergency it has been for a long time obviously it's much more acute now um forest land in the amazon the size of a football pitch is destroyed every minute and you can only imagine the kind of horrors that are being perpetrated on wildlife there not to mention indigenous people um, particularly uh, since that fascist asshole um, Bolsonaro uh, became president, and so how can you know how can you even stop something so devastating? Well, I suppose stop eating beef and soy. Um, considering a lot of that uh, Amazon forest is being cleared for farming, um, and that's going to multinational stuff. And we're seeing some of that beef in Europe and la la la. And then there's also been this stuff around like this idea of planting trees as a solution to the climate emergency. Like if you plant a trillion trees worldwide, we'd somehow solve things. A lot of, you know, different people who work in environmental sectors and scientists are saying that that's not necessarily a solution. But what we do know is that we need more forest. We need more trees. And should we really have a situation in Ireland where this spruce that we just see for all of our lives, like it's been grown here as an industry since 1907. Like, how can we turn that back around? And that's what we're going to talk today. What do you think about all of that info, Louise? Well, I think it's interesting. Like, if you think about the way that we're being encouraged to live our lives across the board, we're being encouraged to shop local, you know, restaurants and food. The food culture is moving toward kind of at the extreme end terroir where, you know, people are, you know, chefs are only using products that can be grown or sourced locally. Um, Certainly most restaurants, good restaurants, are trying to source everything locally, you know, it's the way the world is moving so to be kind of importing our trees in a sense seems kind of mad yeah and there's something just at a very basic level there's something weird and emotional about it as well like that you like wherever you grow up or where you're from you have this intrinsic attachment to the land and to Mm -hmm. its nature and when you see like massive old oak tree or you know really beautiful hawthorn trees like they feel very much part of our existence in 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 a place and i've always felt that these weird spruce trees have never have always been at odds with um wh- what the country 
what the landscape should look like. Yeah, well, I live near, as I said, I live in, in Glasnevin near the Botanic Gardens. And so I would spend a fair bit of time walking around the Botanic Gardens with my toddler, as I said. And he comments on the trees and he notices the trees and he notices the differences. And there's something kind of majestic about them. They are special, you know, without being too kind of artsy about it but um, you know I think it, it, it's a shame if all we have is the one kind and it's not even the kind that was meant to be here yeah so we're going to talk Leitrim right now and what centres Leitrim at the core of this story So Justin Warnock is one of the members of an organisation called Save Leitrim and they're doing a lot of activism around what they say is the detrimental impact of the Sitka spruce um, forestation in Leitrim. Um, You can go to saveleitrim.ie to find out more information about that. Justin is also a local councillor in Leitrim. He's in Fianna Fáil and he has lots of interesting things to say about this. So we're going to have a chat with him now and see what is the crack in Leitrim. Just a little word before this, we could only get Justin on the phone, unfortunately, and had to record it in a bit of a weird way. We couldn't record it over Skype. So this recording is not the greatest quality recording you've ever heard in your life, but the information is brill. So if you listen carefully and forgive us a little bit for audio quality, you're going to get a lot out of it. This week's episode is about Leitrim and we've been looking into the kind of forestry issues and the forestation issues in that county. Now, initially, I didn't really know that much about them, but it seems to be that the Sitka spruce thing keeps cropping up with regards to Leitrim. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've been doing and what's going on there? Yeah, we set up in um, November 17 out of just sheer frustration of no matter I'm a, look, a county councillor and I used to raise at a council meetings about all this forestry you know and all the plantations that was taking place and people weren't afford to, weren't able to afford to buy the land on the mar- when it go on the market and as such farms were becoming less viable and um, at the time they were saying we had about 15 or 16 percent of the county planters but we know ourselves now that it's over 19 probably 20 percent of the county is planted I'm talking about the agricultural land. This is land that you can drive a tractor or, or a machine, not the the high slopes or the or the tops of the mountains or the wetlands or the bogs, you know. So um, we would find that, that it's going to be very difficult for future generations to live and survive on the land in Leitrim if they can't have access to uh, access to land so they can increase their holdings at this stage. So you're saying about up to 20% of agricultural land has become planted. Correct. And what what is being well, planted? The government, the government figures, sorry, the government figures early last year, or, or towards the end of last year, said that there was 18.9%, but we know that there's been an awful lot more for, uh, planting done in the last 12 months or so. So we would be saying it's up to 20%. We would refute the figures anyway, because we have, we have found an awful lot of anomalies with their figures, you know, over the last 18 months or so. And what is being planted? Sitka spruce is the, by and large, uh, the tree of preference for for these companies when they come in here to plant the land in Leitrim. And ninety um, percent would be Sitka spruce, and ten percent would be hardwood. But of course, they would say that they're planting fifteen percent. But what they're actually doing is leaving the old hedgerows there, 
which is then in a few years' time when the Sitka spruce gets up over that hedgerow, they're all dead anyway. So, you know, so they're not doing, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing anyway. And who are these companies planting in Leitrim? Because it's not Quilcher, right? It's not Quilcher. Quilcher would be gone out of the market in probably for the last 30 years or more. It is uh, private uh, companies. Uh, speculators, we have the, the Greenbelt's are management companies, Greenbelt Ags, the Western Forestry Company, and uh, there are a number. There are a number of others. There seems to be a new company setting up nearly every day, every week or every month. You know, so these are companies. I mean, investment funds come in, buy the land, and it's been planted. And there, for fifteen years, they get an availing of the Irish taxpayers' money subsidy for fifteen years. And who? So it's, it's, can you just explain? Can you just can you just explain that to me, Justin? Sorry, can you explain? What what companies are, are coming in to, to buying up land in Leitrim and planting them? Are they European companies or they're from all from all over we have an Indian com- Indian company. We have uh, European companies, we have North American, we have Canadian companies. They all have land and shareholds in County Leitrim. But they probably have other uh, forestry por- portfolios in other counties in, in, in Leitrim or other parts of the world. I don't know. But all I'm worried about is it's what's taking place in Leitrim and West West Cavan and Roscommon and Sligo. But, you know, it, it's a serious issue because they have picked the most marginalised land where the most marginalised people live on. We live in very small little rural communi- communities. As you are well aware, Leitrim is the most rural county in Ireland. We have a very small population of 32,000. When you consider there's more people living in the town of Bray than is in the whole of County Leitrim. So, you know, we're a small little pocket, small little communities, but we're being decimated uh, by this uh, government policy to attract the Sitka Spruce and sponsors, subsidise it. And um, it's kind of, uh, you know, a completely different thing, but like there's obviously been so much uh, conversation in Dublin about, let's say, um, international funds coming in and, and buying up apartment buildings or, or that kind of thing and people not being able to to buy their own homes but as you're outlining a similar type of thing is happening with regards to agricultural land correct correct uh, different types of companies i honestly don't know they're all the illiterate uh, pension funds like they're going to get a reward for the next 15 years tax-free and what, what's going on at a, at a time when we have over ten thousand people homeless we have probably three quarters of a million people waiting on, on uh, hospital appointments. I don't know what this this hurry to the to the end is to get the, all this land planted. I don't understand why. I, ca- I can't for the life of me understand why. Like We have to do a bit for climate change. But in all fairness, the farmers of Leitham and the people of Leitham or the people of the West of Ireland shouldn't be sacrificed for for the greater good of this climate change. Because it's not us that's doing the, the, the damage. You know, it's Bad, poor government policy over the years has done it. Like they've destroyed the bogs, the plant, the planters, uh, bogs with conifers, and they've found out since that bogs are four times better at sequestering carbon than hectare of uh, these conifers. You know, and the other thing as well, it's a cash crop. So the cycle lasts by thirty years, thirty-five years. It's cut down and it starts again. But the damage that's been done to the environment. The biodiversity, because every field is planted, there are a certain amount of insects and bugs that live and wildlife that depend on those fields. But 
when you have 20% of a fifth of a county taken out, it's not very nice. Obviously, a lot of people will be familiar with um, this kind of tree crop or whatever you want to call it, but maybe less familiar with how Ireland came to really be gung-ho about planting something that in other countries is viewed as maybe an invasive species and so on. And how do you feel about... um, you know, it, it, let's say if people were kind of reforesting land with um, native Irish uh, trees like oak and all that kind of stuff. I mean, because obviously that would be more helpful with regards to the biodiversity you're talking about. Correct. Uh, we would have no problem with uh, uh, planting of uh, broadleaves. But one of the context, Leitrim can't take much more trees anywhere of any, any description. Because if we're going to have a future and an identity for ourselves, in future years, we need to keep people on the small farms in Leitrim. Like the, the average farm size in Leitrim is only, uh, only 50 acres. 50 acres. So, um, you know, they have to be allowed to increase, but at the moment they're not being, they're not being allowed because they, they cannot afford to compete with these companies that are coming in. The average price of land in Leitrim should be, for agricultural land, should be about 3,000, 3,500. It's making 5,000 plus. You mm. know, so they can't, and you want, a farmer will not be able to borrow the money in the bank. To compete with the, uh, to get to buy that land, it's not viable. It's not viable at that price. But you got to remember as well, we do not have small schools in in Leitrim. They're not in villages or in towns. They're in actually the rural areas. There's five of them here in my own municipal area, and those five have only got between twenty and thirty children. And once that figure goes below twenty, that school closes. We've already seen uh, one closed up near uh, Creevely near Dunkeer about three years ago, four years ago, and. Now we have other schools crying out to get people to come to live here. But you, to, you cannot get people they are not going to live in the middle of forest anyway. What is that forest like for people who might be listening from abroad? Because I know myself growing up in Dublin, when we'd go to Wicklow at the weekend, it always struck me as quite a, a dark, kind of gloomy patch. Well, you, you're perfectly right. Um, we would call them dead zones. And I have... When I look out the window from my house, I, no matter which window the house I look out, I have forestry. But you go into that forest, there is no life. It's a, like, like a, dead, a dead zone. And um, that's the frightening part. We're losing, like as I said, when you plant, the boards are gone. All right, they will say some boards will, will work in the periphery of a, of a forest. But if you have 60 acres, they're probably only using you know a small section around the perimeter. And... Um, you, you've lost, you've lost the birds. You've lost the the bees. And like they're talking about bees and pollination, like they're all shouting and screaming about these things. But the government isn't doing the thing in a right, in a in a right and responsible way. To be to allow uh, foreign companies and speculators to come in to buy land in any county, but uh, we have to take a stand in Leitrim because we're the ones that that has been targeted, and um, they're destroying everything that we. We believe, we believe in our country for our children and future generations. And also the trees have a negative impact on water quality. Water quality in Leitrim is, over the last 30, 40 years, has gone from pristine down to moderate. And I would say, in actual, if the told the truth, it's probably poor. Do you know, the quality, the water quality, and it ain't the agriculture because they've taken the farmers out of it and they've put in the trees. So, like, they need to start telling, they need to start telling the truth. You know, so... We're seeing just destruction, and that's it. And now I see today, you've probably seen it yourself, on Agriland, where the minister made a statement that he's bringing in um, an advisor from Scotland to help out a 
former plan, planner in the Jim McKinnon, a former chief planner in the Scottish government. Well, the, I don't know how he's going to help the situation is because in Scotland the forestry is taking place in the highlands of Scotland and a lot of big estates. There is no similarities whatsoever to what we have here in Leitrim. At mm. the moment, if you've seen a forestry map of Leitrim, it's like a cancer. It's like measles. It's just it's or a jigsaw that's about to be finished. But I hope to God that this guy doesn't win and say, you know, it's getting to a stage that it's not viable for people to live in it anymore and they just keep buying the land and planting it. What kind of activism is happening around where you are, Justin, with regards to trying to counter um, this trend, I suppose? Well, um, the group that I'm involved with is, we call it Save Leitrim, right? And um, we're actually, geographically, we're well spread. We, from the north, south, east, west of the county, we're from right across the county. But we have a huge amount of support there in the small little communities and the parishes and that within. And what we're doing is, is social media would be, would be big, the media, the papers, the radio, um, international. Now we're getting calls in from, uh, calling from a, Can- a Canadian radio station. We've also had European companies that wanted more of a film here. They want to see it for themselves. The Canadians don't, didn't understand until it had to be pointed to them. You know, in Canada, they had these mass uh, forests anyway of Sitka spruce trees, which are two, 200 years old and they're a couple of hundred feet high. But in, in Ireland, we only grow them for a cash crop. And uh, they cannot stand, they have to fell them nearly all at the one time as well because they will not stand on their own. So the crop is wrong in the first place. And it's a worthless crop. It's a worthless crop because it, about 70, 80% of it is water. You know, if you're, you know, so, and it's only for chipboard and a couple of other, and a couple of other things. And, and there's no, there's no, the top of a job creation, we see one guy there advertising that he's selling logs, you know, fire logs. Like that's, it's not even good for firewood because it burns up too quick, it's too late. Mm. You know, or if you had, as you said, if you had the broadleaves and you were thinning over that, that's good timber for firewood, but it's good timber for a lot of other, a lot of other industries as well. But the stuff that they're growing is of no value. No value whatsoever. Even farmers reluctantly buy their posts if they could get important posts they buy them because they don't last. They only last a couple of years in the rot. Even though there's that much chemicals in them now, you know, that is, they're probably doing more damage than anything else, you know. So what do you see as the solutions then? How can we kind of cut a, cut a path forward? Well, the need to sit down a conversation would need to start to exactly pinpoint what is needed. Like, are we doing this to to feed the greedy or are we doing this for the environment? Like, that's where the discussion needs to start. Like, at the moment, it's only the greedy. It's companies coming in and all they want is the bottom line is money. They don't give a damn whether there's close every school in Leitrim to put every farmer off the land. They don't care. They don't care because they've been fed away from here anyway. But we need to sit down and have that, have that conversation and pr- try and protect our environment rather than destroying it. Like to talk about biodiversity, we need, we need, we need to look at that, at that from every aspect as well. We would have no problem with, you know, across the country, agroforestry where you grow your trees and uh, your farm, you put your cattle in out through them or sheep in out through them. That's not, a, that's not a problem at all. We should be looking at other, at other measures. But this monoculture crop getting in and just wiping out townlands and uh, whole, whole regions of a county is wrong. Thanks so much for chatting, uh, Justin. That's been really informative and hopefully people will, will get really get something out of it and understand what's going down uh, where you are. So I really appreciate it. Right, John.
you very much. Let's talk about our fave bits. Louise, what are your fave bits right now? This is such a pleasure for me. I, I have no one to talk to about my fave bits normally. <laughs> um, well, the first thing is kind of old, but um, just in case people missed it, it's available on all four. It was Shane Meadows' The Virtues um, a drama about an Irish guy who spent a lot of his life living in England, uh, coming home to Ireland to try and revisit some of the demons of his past, as it were. Um, it stars an almost entirely Irish cast. It is incredible the performances in it are magnificent honestly truly some of the best acting I've ever seen there's one scene between um, two of the characters that's just so incredibly moving many people I've spoken to have said that they actually find it almost too hard to watch so it is worth pointing out that it's quite harrowing the subject matter is serious the performances are so realistic that it can be hard to take at times but it's uh, honestly I think the best TV I've ever seen so I highly recommend Great stuff. Anything else? Yeah, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to recommend two books um, that I was lucky enough to get advanced copies of. They're both out in September. One is the third, oh my God, what a complete Ashling book. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, the Ashlings are back. They are back once, twice, three times in Ashling. What the title. a title. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and I'm just so glad to say it is another wonderful book. It's just, you know, it, the Ashling books are so special because they're funny, but they're heartwarming. And, you know, I, I just feel like they are a true gift to Irish society in the 20 teens whatever it is this time is called um, then um, I love them so much oh, like, I love so the books good. I love Sarah and Emer and they're a, truly a publishing phenomenon yeah. like, I think they've sold It's they're like the biggest selling book of the millennia or something yeah it's something right insane. It's like, it is the bi- yeah, the biggest selling book of this century yeah, so far and it's two young women crazy fair play to them um, and then the other book is from my friend Sophie White who is a journalist and writer she's actually got like a couple of book books pots on to boil um, but the first book is coming out in September it's fiction it's called Filter This and it's um, a book set in the world of influencers Ooh-hoo. Yes, and please. it is it's, it's like so compelling um, it's a really fun read and you are absolutely turning the pages to get to the end um, you know I know she said that she's looking forward to people trying to guess who some of the characters are um, but I don't know how many of them are actually based in reality but I massively enjoyed it I mean we all have such an appetite for talking about influencers influencer mm-hmm. culture and all that stuff I think uh, people are really going to love it so amazing I can't wait to read that I little it's called Filter This by the way Filter This amazing by Sophie White there was a book a few years ago and you, do you remember the um, blog Rich Kids of Instagram. Yes, and there was an, the person who made that blog wrote a novel, mm. also called Rich Kids of in- Instagram, which had the unforgettable cover that was like a dollar bill with what looked like a line of cocaine on it, but it was kind of in three D relief. And I remember like reading the book in you know the central hotel or something and leaving it down on the table the table and this person just like staring at, <gasps> staring at me because it just fully looked like you were like yeah I'm doing a line in the middle yeah, of the central hotel I was just like just doing my afternoon K <laughs> in the L central um, but that was an okay book 
this book, Filter This, I predict will be massive and braille. I think so. And I hope so, because, um, you know, Sophie's a really like worked really hard at it. And um, I truly like I wouldn't recommend books by friends unless I genuinely love them. Mm. And, you know, I have no hesitation in recommending them. She's a boss. She is. Um, my fave bit is something that's coming up next week, which is an event in the Sugar Club on August 1st, which is a Thursday called Kanenki, Renewal of Life, mm. which is uh, basically, I didn't know this, okay, but even though I'm doing the event, Kanenki <laughs> is the word, um, is like a Japanese term for menopause, but oh. they have a completely different understanding of what that is. It's about like a renewal of life and all this kind of stuff. So Noelle Brown and Faye O'Rourke are um, organizing this event, um, Kanenki Menopause Unmasked, uh, an aid of the Irish Association for Cancer Research. And it's basically about trying to start conversations that remove the stigma around menopause yes. and that have loads of people who like, um, you know, are in menopause at different stages or for different reasons. This is something that I'm, I'm going to be speaking at it because I'm particularly interested in this because um, as part of my cancer treatment a few years ago, I had a hysterectomy and my ovaries removed and all that kind of crap and was plunged into menopause in a very short space of time and it was yeah. a fucking nightmare. Still deal- dealing with it, still going to be on medication for the rest of my life for it. And at the time, couldn't find any real information that wasn't total faff yeah. about it. So um, if anybody's interested in that kind of stuff or if you want to see what's coming down the line, um, if you are not at that age yet or if you are and have questions and want to actually talk about things in a, um, in a way that's going to be fun and, and interesting and very truthful and that won't be couched in the type of bullshit language that we have around it, please come along to this. Um, money's going to cancer research and what else is happening at a Terrace Stewart is DJing and it's only 12.50 and it's in the Sugar Club in Dublin. I mean, the thing is, it doesn't really matter what age you are um, and I was going to say, if you're you know, if you're a person who's going to experience menopause, then, you know, really, I, I want to get informed now. Yeah. First of all. Second of all, who knows? Like, you weren't expecting to be experiencing menopause at this age. Mm. And I was going to say, finally, we need to start forcing men to get educated about this stuff as well. Because, like, you know, th- I feel like we give men this get out of jail free card. Like, oh, you don't need to know about this. Yeah. Well, no, you do, actually. Because the women in your life are going to go through this. And the more understanding you are, the better everyone will be. That's a, That sounds like a fantastic event, Una. 100%. Well, I don't care what men think about it. but <laughs> No, but I think I think for the sake of the women in our No, you're totally world, right. You're totally right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just, that, ne- that thought never crossed my mind. So thank you for that lens. Well, you live in a yeah. power. Paradise, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no um, offense, Andrew. <laughs> or Ted. <laughs> My son. Who's just now just chilling, oh, leaning back, enjoying life. <laughs> Those are our fave bits. Please help. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. <laughs> we need your support and your cold, hard cash, even just little bits of it to keep this podcast going. It is a large investment of time and um, we need to pay people who are working on it with us. And in order to do that, go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. It's literally, you know, it's like the guts of three euro a month or you can give more. But um, it's a very small amount and you get great podcast stuff. There's great rewards up there and you have the warm glow of helping us make great independent media. And we love everybody who has already come on board and supported us. It's 
really, really brilliant. Like ge- genuinely, um, <laughs> we are very grateful. But we just need a few more years now this week to keep ticking over. So go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and the Castaway Media. Susie Bennett helps us along with her awesome gems and research and brilliance. Thanks to Crystal Clear for our music, Sarah Fox for our design, and you for listening. Go on, do the next bit. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you've enjoyed listening, let us know. But even better than that, get some cash on the Patreon account. How great was it to have Louise in this week, our sparkling star special guest host? (laughs) Thank you, Max Shaz and Ted. Yes, Ted was a little louder than we would have liked him to be. But what can you do? But finally, you uh, have been given the the honour of... um, Prizing the tuna chicken roll from Andre's cold dead hand this week. I have, and I don't think I can say tuna chicken roll with the casual ease that Andrea manages to do it. But um, it was a great joy to me because obviously my my job for five years was telling people about new music, and I've missed doing that. So my tuna chicken roll this week is from Kindness. They have done loads of cool stuff with Robin, and they are a musician from England. They have a fantastic album with lots of cool collaborations on it, and this song is hard to believe. Got a little bit of a Prince vibe. I think. I've been Una Malali. I've been Louise McShari. And this has been United Ireland. And that was Leitrim. Peace.